Hello and welcome to So This Works, the podcast about work-life balance. My name is Marcus Lee and I'm your host. I'm also a filmmaker. I run Real Street Productions, a video production company based in West Yorkshire. Before I set up Real Street, I worked with my good friend and guest on today's episode, Philip Charles, one of the directors of Pipeline Productions Academies Limited, an alternative education organisation based in Bradford. When we first started doing workshops, it was exciting. Mm. We're using our rap in a different way and we're making a good amount of money doing it. You're doing a workshop, you do it for half a day, and this is how much you're getting paid, and it was more money than either of us had seen in a long ever. Yeah. But then when we were doing sometimes a few a day, mm. we, we could do it in our sleep. Yeah. It was no longer challenging or particularly exciting. What was exciting for me was seeing it grow yeah. from a business perspective. That's the kind of stuff that excites me, developing and growing that kind of thing. On this episode, we talk about how we collaborated together on music workshops, how the Pipeline Productions Academy got started, how a hobby can become something you start getting paid for, and the art of salsa dancing, amongst other things. I hope you enjoy this episode. When the beat kicks in, make sure you nod your head and stay tuned. Philip Charles. Afternoon. It's nice to see you. You too. Thanks for being on the podcast at last man. It's uh, great to have you. There's no secrets here. We are good friends. We mm-hmm. we know each other away from uh, this podcasting world and the world of business. But for people who don't know you, could you introduce yourself properly and tell us what you do? My name is Philip Charles and I am one of the directors of a company called Pipeline Productions Academies Limited. Uh, that's pretty much the main thing that I do at the minute. And, and that is, we run alternative provisions. So it's, it's, I suppose you'd describe them as schools, although they're not. The places where young people are educated, young people who have difficulties in mainstream schools. So at the minute, I've got two of those. We've got one in the center of Bradford and one in Keithley, which focus on different subjects. So how did the idea come about? It came about through a couple things and obviously as you know you're involved in this story so when i came back from uni um a couple things happened a couple a few things happened so i'd done two music degrees and you know that's all great got really good grades and all that kind of business and then you come into the real world and what do i do with two music degrees because there's not loads of jobs out there yeah um and that's when we sort of reconnected in 2000 and I think it was back into 2002, wasn't it, yeah. when we reconnected? Yeah. No, so it was 2003. 2003. It was one of those things. Yeah. And Which is was, 16 years ago. It's, it's scary yeah, to think it's that long yeah. ago. I mean, there's there's people that I work with every day who weren't even <laughs> alive then. They weren't exactly. even a thought. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, wh- whatever year it was, we connected around no- November of that year with a view to collaborating musically. Yeah. Um, and you were doing, you'd already been doing workshops in schools, rap workshops, teaching young people how to rap and MC. Um, and this project was coming up where you, someone had asked you, the funders had asked you if you knew another MC, uh, who could maybe get involved and you, you spoke to me and that's how that kind of began. Yeah. Um, and pipeline doing that sort of educational thing began. So, so we were doing workshops, but obviously at that point then we just, we had two that year, one, um, one in one month, one in the following month. 
but I was also broke and that wasn't paying the bills. So mm. I also took up supply teaching. So I was supply teaching in schools, uh, which really gave me a good education footing and real understanding of teaching young people. Um, I'm talking like, you know, secondary school age pupils, because I already had experience of teaching. I'd done it at university and I'd done it even before I went to university. But that was normally people who wanted to learn, you know, that was older people. Yeah. Um, so I did the supply teaching for a, a couple of years until it made me ill. Um, I took a little bit of a break from work while I was trying to get a recording contract and then um, needed to find a job when that didn't come through. So I started working for the local education authority at that time. That was a company called Education Bradford, um, which was under Serco. Yeah. We also do prisons and um, speed cameras and all that kind of stuff. You think there's a, there's a link? Oh, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and the more I'm in education, I see, I see that link increasingly. Yeah. Um, so I worked for them as what was called a personal advisor. And my role in that was I was based in like five schools. Yeah. And I had to work with young people who had really complex multiple needs and they were disengaging from education. And my role was to try and re-engage them into society, re-engage them into education. And the, the, the sort of governmental reason for this was to try and prevent these young people from becoming what was called NEAT, N-E-E-T, not in education, employment, or training. Mm. Um, so it's a view of saving the taxpayer money in the long run, which is a great idea, but, you know, the, the actual implementation and execution of these things is just always faulty. So that was my role. And part of that, I had to use alternative education. So I became really aware of the alternative education providers in the city. That was part of my job. I had to know all of them. Yeah. I had to have contacts in them and know what they charged, know what the pros and cons were. Mm. So on the one hand, I had the, t the teaching experience. You and I were doing increasing amounts of workshops. It was really becoming, it actually became a full-time job for both of us at, at, at a certain point yeah and i had all this this knowledge of the alternative education sector and there was nothing out there that did the sort of music the hip-hop stuff and fused that with alternative education mm. and that's where i saw that that niche i saw that yeah that avenue there fantastic mm. just rewinding just because i mean we can we'll keep talking about the alternative provision but going back to when we first met and this is going to really ages so I keep saying on the podcast, I'm 38 years old. I met you 20, I want to say 20 years ago. I want to say uh, it was 19 something. I want to say it was 1999. Because I can remember going to a studio in Little Germany with a mutual friend and we met there. And you had a lot more hair then. Mm -hmm. So would I. <laughs> um, do, you, do you remember that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember remember well. I mean, where we are at the mini, it was just across the road from where we are. Yeah. So VSI Studios, Visual Sounds Interactive. And that yeah. was a very exciting time. And that was, a, a, I was it was around the time when um, music was fairly new to me. And yeah. you know, I was just getting into all that kind of stuff. And um, I think I was, I'd, I'd always you know when i came back from university or from music college in newcastle upon tyne mm. i'd i'd visit my parents i'd visit my girlfriend's parents and then i'd go to the studio and that was that was my life um and yeah of course i met you and there was you were with a guy called rob yeah um and and rob made beats right yeah he did yeah, yeah. and he made uh, he made exceedingly good beats he I did make very good beats yeah he made good beats <laughs> um we didn't really talk that much though no i, I didn't did remember because yeah. yeah. i i remember talking to my contact in vsi was johnny lone mohammed lone who mm. 
think he's now a teacher. Okay. He's been a teacher for years. He just disappeared from the music scene. Yeah. And yeah, I, I talked to him about, oh, I wonder whether or not me and Marcus could actually do something. So that was going on behind the scenes. You didn't, you weren't aware of that because it never came. So you thought about me even though I wasn't present. Yeah, Marcus. And I've thought about you ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Must have had a great influence. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you went off to university, you came back, you did the workshops and doing those workshops was fun. It, it was fun. It was sometimes challenging, yeah. you know, doing rap music workshops, hip hop workshops, going into schools, not just in Bradford, but up and down the country as mm-hmm. well, which was great. So driving to a lot of random places, hearing different accents, hanging out with different people, have you got any highlights of, of those times? Any happy memories or things that stand out of those workshops? Some of the things that stand out, I mean, there's been lots of things that stand out. Um, but I think within my current sort of thinking, excuse me, this is going to sound materialistic, but eventually when we first started doing workshops, it was exciting. Mm. We're using our rap in a different way and we're making a good amount of money doing it. So, you're doing a workshop, you do it for half a day and this is how much you're getting paid. And it was more money than either of us had seen in a long ever. Yeah. And as we started to develop that and grow that as a business and I packed in my full-time job and eventually you followed and did the same, um, the challenge didn't become the workshops. Cause remember when we first started doing workshops, we wrote like a, a five page, six page lesson plan of the workshops. Yeah. yeah. Then eventually we were actually doing, and we did that for every one. Yeah. But then when we were doing sometimes a few a day, mm. we we could do it in our sleep. Yeah. It was no longer challenging or particularly exciting. What was exciting for me was seeing it grow yeah. from a business perspective mm-hmm. and being able to push the fee that we got per day. Yeah. That sounds materialistic, but, but what I've come to realize as someone who now is growing a business, mm. um, that's the kind of stuff that excites me, developing yeah. and growing that kind mm. of thing. And so the highlight was when we got the the Manchester police contract. Yeah. Because it was, it was, I'd just been, I just got a speeding fine. <laughs> so I was upset with the police and we had this meeting with the police. Don't get me wrong. I was speeding. Yeah. I hold my hand up. You know what I mean? So it's not the police's fault. They were yeah. doing what they needed to do. But, you know, younger me, I was, I was annoyed. So we had this meeting with the police and it was in Manchester Mm. I didn't want to go to Manchester. I don't think you wanted to go to Manchester. So we did that thing where we overquote them mm. and we quoted them. I think it was, it was more than three times what we would normally get paid for a day. Yeah. And they didn't even blink. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. And we had loads of those workshops. Yeah. And that was a good time. I love those moments where people don't even blink. And then, but you also think, yeah. oh, I could have uh, gone yeah. higher. Exactly. I could have exactly. charged a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was the moment for you then, obviously doing the workshops, working freelance that you thought, actually, you've done that for a while. It's been great. It's in, it's it's enjoyable. But what was the moment when you, when you thought, actually, I don't want to do the freelance thing anymore. I want to move into having a limited company. It wasn't so much a moment and it wasn't so much a choice. Um, things became trickier, didn't they? When the, when the global economy crashed Yeah. and for a long time, it didn't actually impact what we were doing. We didn't feel that effect, but then the the contract started to stop mm. this contract that we'd been doing for two years that mm. stopped. Okay. That's one. We're yeah. fine. And then another, and then another. Yeah. Cause remember we did so much work with Bradford youth service. Remember we found that booklet. And we went through it and our name wasn't mentioned once, mm. but there was something like 16 projects. And of the 16 projects, we'd done 15. Yeah. 
I, you know, that's mm. how that's how prolific we were at that time. Mm. But then, of course, with the cuts to the Bradford Youth Service, that was a big employer for us. Yeah. So I, I was still doing workshops even after I'd started the limited company and was I was forming um, the Pipeline Productions Academy. Um, and I think had the bottom not dropped out of the economy, I'd probably still be doing them. Okay. Well, no. Let me rewind that. Let me take that back. I probably would have continued doing them for a while. So I did continue doing them for a while. I think the thing that fundamentally stopped was I felt old. Okay. That's what stopped me. Yeah. I, I and, and, you know, I fully take on board. When I speak to other MCs, your age doesn't matter. You know, I'll look at mm. Dr. Dre. He's in his 50s and he's still rapping. But I felt like an imposter. I can remember uh, a point. Uh, I would have been 30 something, uh, but often you go to speak to young people and you'd ask them, who's your favorite MC? Who's your favorite producer? And they'd say a name and you know the name, Tupac, Biggie, uh, Jay-Z, 50 Cent. You, it'd be quite popular names. Mm-hmm. And then there was a point when they started saying names and I think, I don't, I don't know who that is. I don't know who Never that heard. is. And then they play some and you go, that's awful. <laughs> and you yeah. just can't relate to them anymore. Yeah. yeah. And the style of freestyle that we used to do and the style of hip hop we were into was the the classic uh i want to say american style but the classic hip-hop style yeah you, you know slower bpms and and that kind of thing and and there was a shift towards the grime sort of style yeah where even your you know though we were capable of doing that style our lyrical content could never be something that the young people relate to because mm. if you weren't talking about shanks and robbing banks yeah lyrics then <laughs> then they just weren't relating to you yeah. so when you talked about conscious stuff they just laughed yeah and and even though whenever we freestyled they couldn't deny that do you know what i mean even yeah. though it wasn't their style they couldn't deny the skills that were involved it was something they couldn't do and it was something that even the people they admired couldn't do yeah um we were just not becoming relatable yeah and that made me feel old mm. and it was time to just give it up and yeah. strangely enough after i give it up that's when some of the jobs started kind yeah. of flooding in. Yeah. So yeah, just, yeah, that was it. Do you think other people in business sometimes fail to see that, that sometimes it's time that you need to stop working in that certain business. You need to stop flogging that horse and close that door and move on to something else. Yeah. I, there are lots of people and I see, you know, even on the way over here, I was talking to you about, a potential business that you know mm. I'm looking at buying, and you know receiving the the books for this this company, the accounts, and just thinking, dude, why didn't you just look at that and go, no, this ain't working. Yeah. Instead of carrying flogging that dead horse for years and years, or mm. at least change direction or something like that. Mm. Now, yeah, there's lots of people who flog that dead horse and they keep on going, but. Um, I don't think any of us are immune to that. Like I say, mm. the reason why I stopped the workshops was eventually because I felt I'd, I'd got too old for it. But the thing that mainly stopped it before was the work wasn't there. Yeah. So I think if the work was still there, I'd have been able to cross that age bridge. You know yeah. what I mean? I'd have been like with a walking stick still doing it as long as I'm getting paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, there's it's... <sighs> It's also recognizing in yourself the, mm. the changes, you know, my, yeah. my priorities and my ways of being and my ways of carrying myself has shifted over the years and you've yeah. got to shift with it. Yeah, true that. Um, slightly away from the world of work then, talking about shifts, we've known each other a long time, but there was a big shift when you took up salsa. 
mm-hmm. away from the world of work, you've got this new hobby and you started doing salsa. Mm-hmm. Salsa to me is either a dip or it's this Latin American music and a style of music which I don't really care or know anything about, but you got into salsa. How did you get into salsa? How did you discover that? We'll come to all that in a second. I mean, that, all that, like you said, about dips and so on. But, um, yeah, I, before I go too deep into it, I, it's fair to say I have this horrible habit of finding something, doing something as a hobby, really enjoying it, and then turning it into something I make money out of and then not enjoying it so much anymore. Right. And that exact, that's, that happened with salsa. So I started salsa. I went to my first salsa night on my 30th birthday on the day of my 30th birthday there was also an earthquake in bradford right i didn't feel it but you know it was in the news the next day i was just at my i was just at home it was a tuesday night um and i won't i didn't have anything planned and i went because i had a big party planned for the weekend Mm. and i just thought well it's actually my birthday should do something Mm. so i just called some friends and the only place to go on a tuesday night was the salsa night first time i'd went so i went to this um salsa night and thought, yeah, this is cool. And then a few months later, I decided to actually go and, and give it a go and went to my first class. So that was 2008. Okay. So 11 years ago. 11 years ago. And when I went to my first my first proper class that I went to, I was actually sat outside what used to be the Love Apple. Yeah. Which is now, well, it's still there as a building, but it's not the place that it was. It was a cafe. It was great. So I sat outside there nice warm evening and there was a sign outside that said salsa classes tonight looked at my watch it was in about 20 minutes so i thought yeah i'm gonna give it a go and from that point i was hooked so it started off i did um a salsa class maybe once a week for the first three weeks and then twice and then eventually it became i was doing salsa six times a week and private lessons and so on and so forth yeah um and then within a few years somebody approached me to join them in teaching a class in York, and so I first started teaching a class in York. So that's where the it started to turn into into work. Yeah, and so from then I did um, I did teaching, performance, and uh, and DJing, and I was also in a salsa band for a while. So I've made money from all those different yeah. angles. That's pretty full on from it just being a hobby that yeah or something that you discover on a Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's mad. Yeah, and obviously you started then preaching because when you love something you, you start telling everyone about it you know if i have a favorite album i tell everyone you should listen to this and they don't care but salsa was something that you were like right guys you've, you've got to come and do this salsa thing check it but out but i won't like that with everybody marcus i was only like that with people that i thought would actually be good at it and would okay. actually enjoy it it seemed like you were like that with everyone but but fair enough oh, no i yeah. talk to people about yeah. it because you never know you know what i mean like mm. like people say things like oh yeah i don't do anything on an evening well you should come to salsa you probably yeah. enjoy it do you yeah. know what i mean because i you know i loved it mm. and of course when you're in something like that as well that's your only sort of that's only where i went yeah if i went to like normal bars and clubs i was bored out of my head yeah I wanted to be at a salsa night. It was yeah. it was great fun, and yeah. I, you know I wanted other people to experience that, but also be because that's all you do. Mm. That's also where you meet people. Yeah, and that's not why I did salsa, but yeah. that's a, a side effect of of mm. what happens. And you know, my last few girlfriends had been salsa girlfriends, and mm. you know, so it was clear that obviously it's a good place to meet people, and and what, and of course it is. Yeah, so you know any single friends who you know i spoke to and, and they were saying oh yeah i don't do anything come and try salsa yeah i can remember your stag do because i know you did various things for your stag do's 
mm. plural. But um, I only had two, man. It's not uh, that well, many. Well, one is <laughs> two is more than one. Um, but I remember going to a night in Leeds. We went to do salsa somewhere, and you know, you were dancing away, and there were a bunch of guys on the side. You know, me included, just watching and not really having a, a huge interest in it. I do remember because I was single at the time. I can remember this Spanish-looking lady coming across to me. Saying, do you want to dance? And it was the first time I thought, I'm genuinely gutted. I can't do this now. Mm. I thought, oh, part of me needs to learn just so I can dance with her. But But I'd been trying to get you to come to Salsa as far back as 2008. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Christmas due 2008, you actually said okay let's go yeah. we after we'd been at a christmas do yeah. and we went over to salsa and you said the immortal line of philip do you know to do salsa do you have to like salsa music and i said well yeah, yeah. kind of yeah, and you true. went oh, i hate it it just makes me really <laughs> angry <laughs> but you know as well i think at that time i just uh broken up from the person i was with at the time so yeah it's a good place to go and meet other people but i think i was just in a bad mood yeah and i think Sometimes when you associate something with a bad mood, you're just not interested. So, you know, years, 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 years followed and you were doing salsa and you were becoming amazing at it. And I think I just watched from a distance thinking, well, I've got my hobbies and my interests, so I'm, I'm not going to go there. But fast forward, I do have to thank you. And I have thanked you in my wedding speech because I met my wife, mm, went to that salsa, indeed. which I, I'd never expected that to happen but i met mm. i met my wife pam and you met your wife as well i did yeah, yeah yeah 2009 how, how did you meet um it was that it was at that same tuesday place the the place where i'd first gone to salsa although um in in 2008 so 2009 she was just somebody who'd been in my class i, I enjoyed dancing with her but I hadn't particularly noticed her i think mainly because i was with somebody else at the time as well so you know um <laughs> but then I found myself single. She she was single, and it turns out that my nephew was seeing her sister, and so yeah, it's very weird. And then um, yeah, the, she, she'd seen me on a photograph of his and said, "Oh wait a second, I know that guy. He does my salsa class." And yeah. and that's kind of how it just began. And then I started getting messages from my nephew saying, "You know, my girlfriend's harassing me. Do you like this girl?" And yeah. It's like school we went, playground, isn't it? It was yeah. full school playground yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, I thought it was so immature that we got married <laughs> a few years later. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you talk about, you know, you're going headstrong into something, becoming really full on, at what point did you start thinking, well, I do enjoy it, it's a great hobby, but it's kind of becoming a bit of a chore now when you're working in that as well? So when I was teaching when i've been teaching it's always come to a point where i become bored of it yeah when i'm doing the same thing and what i've always what i've started to say when it when it came to doing salsa teaching I, i'll do this for as long as i feel as if i'm making a difference or making a positive impact that's the, that's some of the things that interest me that and business development what i've come to sort of realize like i was saying um I, i'll start something and get it going and make it successful but once it's going that's i'm no longer sparked i'm no mm. longer interested I, I need it to continue growing i need to be developing i need to be moving mm. and when it comes to doing salsa um i had in i'd reached the limits of where my abilities were taking me 
and I'd reached the the limits of where I could take it business wise or where I was inclined to take it business wise. Yeah. Because it's quite it's very it's a very competitive mm. sort of area. And I'm not shy of the competitiveness, but mm. um when you couple that with some of the politics that go along, I just got tired of it. I, I hate politics. Of, yeah, yeah. I I I wasn't and don't get me wrong, you know, sometimes I got involved in the politics, not that I mm. wanted to, but sometimes you end up getting dragged in. Mm. And, you know, I could be as bad as anybody else. When you say politics, is that the politics of whose classes people are going to or what night is most popular or is someone else putting on an event at the same night as me? Yeah, and, all, all that kind of stuff. All that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean I I never I never cared about people going to other people's classes and not mine. That that was never the politics that bothered me. Mm. Um, but it was just, so, I don't even know. I, I don't even know. It's just when you hear some of the things that people have done or or people who've been dancing for three months are now teaching the class and, and they can't dance in time. Mm. You know, for a long time in Leeds, for instance, the reason why I got back into teaching in Leeds in the first place was um, because... Leeds had been taken over by poor quality teaching at that time. Mm. And it had had such a detrimental impact on the Leeds dancing scene mm. that actually it, I, it wasn't that I chose to go come back. Somebody begged me to come back mm. because I was the only person around who could actually teach of some quality at that time. Mm. Uh, Cause all the other quality teachers had left to do other things. Mm. Um, so I was the only one around. I was the only one left. And I, mm. and I could see what they were talking about. You know, you'd go out tonight and you'd come back with blood. You know, people would stomp on you because it can be quite dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And there was a lot of, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So you'd see the teaching and you'd go, you're teaching people this stuff mm. and they can't even keep time. And you're, you're, you're teaching them to dip women's heads down to the floor. Yeah. So it, the scene needed to change. And mm. I'm proud to say that I was part of that teaching change. Mm. Um, there are quite a few other teachers now on the, on the lead scene who are teaching really high quality and delivering really high quality nights. Yeah. That the, I'm no longer, I'm super, superfluous to requirements. And, mm. you know, and I'm glad because it means I can focus on my business really. Do you think it's one of those situations where people see, well, there's money to be made in salsa, so I'll, yeah. I'll just start oh, yeah. a class? Or at least they it, perceive there's money to be made in yeah. salsa. There's that. They think there's money to be made in salsa. And there is. Mm. Sometimes I did really good money with the, with the Tuesday nights in Leeds. Um, but there's also a kudos thing. You know, it's about how you're perceived. Yeah. People want to be able to walk into a room and, and for women to go, oh, that's that teacher. Um, oh, I, I just dance with the teacher without realizing actually people who know what they're looking at know that teacher's not particularly quality. But, yeah. you know, it's that kudos thing. Yeah. And I know certainly some people, some teachers, I know, I don't think it's the case now, mm. but in the past, I know certainly some of them were doing it because mm. they said it. Yeah. They were doing it so they could get women. Yeah. And they said it. And there was a big, there was a big, um, sort of scandal in the salsa scene. I think it was probably about four or five years ago, which ended up in a, in a, in a, uh, a very popular salsa company mm. splitting into two different companies. Right. Cause it turned out one of them was just on a mission was just, just had disgusting thoughts about women. Right. And had expressed that. And it got back to various people's girlfriends and so on and mm. so forth. And it just fractured their company. Yeah. Crazy. He, he left Leeds. Yeah. Well, right, rightfully so. I think I remember going as a beginner and like, Anyone who is a complete 
beginner, you see everyone else dancing and everyone looks brilliant mm-hmm. and amazing. It's like not speaking Spanish and then hearing people speak Spanish and you're thinking, I don't understand the word that's being said here. Then you learn the language and then you think, ah, oh, that's what he means. Oh yeah, my, my corazón, my, my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start to understand. And as a beginner, watching these people who looked amazing and mind-blowing, I kept continuously going, you know, doing the beginner classes, doing the improver classes, doing the intermediate classes. And then you watch other dancers around you and you think, oh, I, I used to think you were brilliant and amazing. And I was intimidated to dance with you at one point. And now actually I've realized that now that I know the timing, that your timing's not mm-hmm. not particularly mm-hmm. great or anything. So a lot of it is that thing of you, you see someone and you think they're amazing. Then you learn a little bit. I'm not saying I'm amazing by any means, but you, you, you start to learn even just the basics and you realize, oh, they, they can't count. Mm-hmm. I'll keep time. Yeah. It, time. It, and it can be quite a sad thing, actually, you know, especially as a male dancing with females. And, you know, it's the same thing for females dancing with males. You have your favorite dancers when you're at a certain level. Yeah. And then you get to a point and you, you dance with them and, and it's, and it's not the same. And you realize actually the quality of their dancing probably hasn't changed. It's mm-hmm. just you, you are now more aware of where the sort of, yeah. where the, the problems are and where the issues are. And so yeah. it's not the same experience. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's a politics laden scene, but it is also a very, a very fun thing to get into a very very fun scene of course it's a healthy you know it's a healthy active lifestyle but it's a really nice social thing you go out on a night despite all those politics and all those issues which a lot of that kind of you become acutely aware of when you work in that field yeah um it's it's a healthy lifestyle you know, it's a fitness activity fundamentally. Mm. And if you, for those who don't know how a salsa, what a salsa night generally is, there are people who got salsa nights, me included from time to time, you know, and we'll drink a hell of a lot and have a really good time. But then most of the time you go to a salsa night, you might have one, maybe two drinks. Mm. And then the rest of the time you're just dancing and you're dripping. And so, you know, you're burning off like five, 600 calories a Mm. night. Yeah. Just, just, and having fun. It is a Mm. really good for me, the mind gym, the mind gym, the gym is really mind numbing. And it, that's the one thing I miss about salsa Yeah, is that physical, yeah. that physical exercise. It's great. Yeah. Well, I hate to say something might have changed my life a little bit, but it obviously meant that I met my wife. So I, I have to say it changed my life. So, mm. you know, I, 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 I owe a small debt to salsa. Um, I want to play a, a bit of a game, if mm-hmm. that's all right. We'll just go really like hide for a second, man. A little bit silly. The game is called This or That. I play it with everyone who comes on the podcast. The podcast, or should I say the game, basically involves two situations, A or B. It's a would you rather do this or would you rather do that? It's family friendly, so there's nothing too obscene. I know if, if me and you were playing this game away from the camera and the audio recording, it might be a bit different. So we're going to keep it PG, man. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. You have to choose one. Here we go. This or that. Philip Charles, would you rather A, travel the world for a year or B, live in the same country, i.e. the UK, in complete luxury for one year? For one year? One year. Yeah, I'd, I think I'd rather travel the world, world for one year. Okay. I, not, not I think. I know I'd rather do that. Okay. Have you got any places on your list that you'd like to go visit? Um, there's been? places I'd like to go back to. I'd okay. like to go back to Cuba, the yeah. Maldives. Um, we, I did want to go to Thailand. Um, so I've always wanted to go to Thailand. I quite like the idea of visiting Australia as long as I don't have to see anybody. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Australia would be nice if it wasn't for the people. Um, so... Don't get me wrong, if there's any Australians listening, I don't mean that in a, in a really bad way. I just... 
countries where racism is a thing and that have racist histories I'd rather avoid okay um, holidays or traveling you know should be free from that kind of thing you should be you should be relaxed there's enough of that here at home definitely that was a deep answer for that question man yeah. I would go for a simpler one <laughs> Michael Jackson or Prince Michael Jackson yeah that's an easy one as well favorite song uh, um, oh man no, that's not an easy one <laughs> um, Blame It On The Boogie probably is my favorite Michael Jackson song I also like uh, PYT I, I, I'm not gonna start doing a list because I'll be it's too many yeah, there's loads but um, Prince yeah great but I never really massively got into Prince um, and I don't know why that is I, I there's maybe three songs of his that I really enjoy and that's and, and that's it I just it doesn't resonate with my sensibilities MJ wins yeah. cool okay two options A having the traffic lights turn green at every turn wherever you go or B never queuing for anything ever again the traffic lights turning green I don't mind occasionally queuing, especially when you've got somebody to talk to in a queue. It can be, it's, it's all right, you know, it's quite nice. I remember me and uh, my friend Ruben, we went to a comic convention and we were queuing for about an hour, but it was cool. You know, there's people in costumes meeting me and him, we're having a good time taking selfies and that. Red lights do my head in. Yeah, I think they do everyone's head in. Yeah. Okay, next one. Um, spending one year in prison or knocking off one year of the end of your life? It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, I'd probably knock one year off the end of my life. Okay. Um, next one. Being insane and knowing it, or being insane and believing that you're not? I think if you're insane and you know it, you're not insane. So that one. Okay. By definition, I think is, is what it is. People who are insane don't know that they're insane. Cool. Okay. Losing the ability to see or losing the ability to speak? <laughs> These are getting harder. You, losing the ability to see or losing the ability to speak? I'd probably lose the ability to see. I like, it's not that I like to speak. I do like silence. Yeah. But I usually have something to say. Okay. And the thought of not being able to say that. Okay. Yeah. Chess or Monopoly? Monopoly. Why? It's more fun, more players. Chess just hurts your brain too much. You got to think too much. Cool. Okay. Knowing the history of everything, or being able to talk to animals. Oh man. Um. Um. Knowing the history of everything. No, being able to talk to animals. Final answer. Yeah. You want to talk to those animals and. Yeah, you know. Knowing the history of. It's a tough one. Knowing the history of anything, there I can see areas where that would serve you well, but but it is limited. I, the reason why I was going to say it'd be good to know the history of anything rather than talking to animals is because then you, if you talk to animals, you probably won't want to eat them. <laughs> um, but then on the flip side, if you could speak to animals, you probably won't want to eat them. And that's actually there's a positive to that. You know, actually, if if you could know that they have feelings and and a certain level of intelligence. That would be the kick i think that i would need to stop eating them so are you going for knowing the history of everything or are you going for talking talking to, to the animals talking to animals cool simple one next one netflix or amazon prime netflix all day long i have okay. both but netflix okay final one and then you can rest easy um the ability to know what was behind every closed door or be able to guess the combination of every safe on the first try 
I'll say those again. Uh, no, I get them. I just, <laughs> I, I just don't see the benefit benefits of either. Okay. Unless you can actually get away with like, if you can open any safe and walk away the, with the contents consequence for fr- free, yeah, I'm not inclined to steal. So knowing the combination, unless you've got that, is useless. It's just it's just two two abilities. No, knowing what's behind each door, then. Okay, knowing what's behind each closed door. Cool, fantastic. That was that uh, (laughs) entertaining game. I'm sure we'll think of a slightly more mature version when we leave this podcast. Philip, we're going to wrap up things there. Um, It's been really nice to talk to you. If people want to find out more about yourself the alternative provision are there any website links you can share we do have a website but it's it's kind of geared towards um young people well not young people but teachers really who, yeah. who would send pupils but that's www.pipelineproductions.co.uk um yeah that's probably the the best place to to visit really great stuff that's great well i, I really do appreciate you being on we've had quite a short conversation i think me and you could talk for we hours. sometimes do we, yeah, we yeah. sometimes do it'd be great to have you back on the podcast again in the future we can talk more about what's going on at pipeline we could talk more about um salsa we could talk more about i, I, I dare say politics but that's like another that's like a podcast in itself yeah. isn't it yeah um, but thank you so much for being on um take care enjoy the rest of your day the rest of your year and we look forward to having you back on each so this works podcast thank you Well, you've made it this far. You've stuck it out to the very end. So thank you for watching this episode of So This Works. If you've enjoyed this video, please like it. Please leave a comment. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please tell a friend about it. Please share this video. And also hit that notification bell so that you're notified as soon as a new video has been released. If you'd like more information about this podcast, please check out the website, sothisworks.co.uk. I hope that you will join me for a future episode. And until next time, Take care of yourselves.